You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. Technology and Society with Aki Anastasio. This feature is sponsored by Ultron, technology partners in your digital transformation journey. For more information, visit Ultron.com. Ultron, there when it matters. Hello, Aki. Good morning to you, Eusebius. I'm multitasking and I'm sending you a WhatsApp message. Yes, by which yes. he means we're going to talk about technology and society and him and I will gossip about something <laughs> that is none of your business via WhatsApp in the meantime. How are you, darling? I'm very well. Thanks. You have a good weekend. I had a beautiful weekend. Oh, I got to nice. interview talented South Africans yes, who were shortlisted for his scholarship to go to, to Oxford University, the Rhodes. Yeah. And exhausting and difficult but even more exhausting for them than for the committee members because every single one of them will leave a mark on society not just south africa Amazing. but you have limited limited scholarships and it's cold comfort to say to someone you don't need the scholarship because mm. all of you will be brilliant because obviously they're competitive and deserving you know how many people were in this process how many people did you interview for the because you only, the only final, five went through right four, we picked four okay there were 12 finalists 12, okay. Eight committee members, and um, yeah, it was really, really tough, and we deliberated for well over three hours. You know, I always find it fascinating talking to because it's a different generation to yours, right? Very talking different. To another generation to find out what their concerns are, what their outlook is in the country, and it's 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 so refreshing to to talk to these people because they've got a completely different outlook to what you and I have. That's why it's inspiring. You learn from younger people. You check oh. in with yourself. And it's one of my favorite weekends, even though it's always a difficult call to call to make. So I didn't really rest this weekend, but it was time well spent. What did you get up? This is why you like talking to me because you learn so much from younger <laughs> people. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, had a, I had a busy weekend just doing odds and ends. You know, this time of the year, I just, yeah. I just, I'm zoning out. It's, so a, it's a funny, it's a funny like time of the year. I was tuning into the radio this morning, just to, as Bongani was saying, four weeks to go before Christmas, quite yeah. literally. Yeah. But you're not allowed to just slow down yet. No. And yet at the same time, your body and mind just wants to be on a beach somewhere. Yeah, right? exactly. It's kind of like exactly. silly season. We've got three equally fascinating stories yes. today. Where do we start? Well, let's talk about mobile phones. And, and uh, the Pew Research Company just did some re really fascinating research on emerging countries and their relationships with, um, you know, with mobile phones. And South Africa was one of the countries in that group of countries that were were studied. Colombia was there, Mexico, Tunisia, Venezuela, Philippines, Jordan, Kenya, Lebanon, Vietnam, India. And it's interesting that, uh, you know, South Africa is amongst the top five there where people are really concerned about identity theft and mobile phones. Mm. And when you talk about mobile phones, believe it or not, 5% of the adult population still don't own an adult phone, and they often borrow one from somebody else to use temporarily. Wow. Uh, they in cite, South Africa? Yeah, in South Africa. They cite reasons for it is that the, 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 the phones are still too expensive and they're not affordable for those people. Um, they talk about connectivity and South Africa also comes up pretty high amongst that list, although kind of in the middle of the price of data, which is still an issue. And interestingly enough for me, out of all the countries, do you know which is the, the most challenging thing that adults have with mobile phones in South Africa? And that, will you believe it or not, is actually the language barrier. Because we've got so many different languages that people struggle and they, they don't find the mobile device useful enough because they have challenges reading in other languages. And and I, I don't know how many of the corporates and, and banks, I know a lot of banks focus a big, 
speak, part of their uh, marketing campaigns and trying to, you know, the instructions when you do banking in all the 11 official languages. But when you have so many languages, it does pose challenge for those people who don't understand. We take it for granted. We speak English and we're fluent in it. But many people in this country aren't fluent in English. So what does it mean in terms of the, the aggregate effect on society? Is this exacerbating inequities? I thought the generally decent levels of penetration of phones have helped us to bridge some, some divides. They have. They certainly have. But I think we've still got a long way to go. We need to make language a lot easier. Data needs to come down. We sure. need to reassure people about their privacy and identity theft. And the cost of phones needs to come down even further. Um, and only then will we really tr- truly make progress. I think we're making progress in the right direction. But language appears to be one of the biggest barriers <laughs> in getting that cell phone adoption even further. Mm. Well, fascinating. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely fascinating, particularly when so many opportunities for flourishing, such as applying for jobs, yeah, exactly. seeking information about jobs, all of that you need to be online if you don't have access or can't afford the data or there are other barriers, then the very thing that can have a democratizing effect on society can also be responsible mm. for widening inequity. Exactly. But, but I mean, even things like e-services, I know government's done yeah, a huge exactly. role, you know, with pensions and, and, and all that sort of thing. It's in all the 11 official languages, but there are some sectors of government where you, you know, they're not in all the official languages. Mm. But I guess we're making progress. But as, as long as you know that is the biggest hurdle, mm. language for those South Africans who don't have fun. Next up, some comedy. You want to talk about LEG? Well... <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, he's uh, he's a very interesting guy, and um, I, you know, I was thinking about it. In a way, he does contradict himself a little bit when he talks about hate speech. And, he addresses and that, it yeah. because because he covers it in his movies quite extensively, yeah. right? But in a humorous way. But he was speaking at the Anti Defamation League's International Leadership Summit on, Summit on Thursday, where he received. Sure, an award. How much did you drink this morning? Sure, no, that's the next story. <laughs> but uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, and I guess, uh, you know, you started listening to this and I listened to it twice and it kind of. I still ref- want to listen to the whole yeah. thing, yeah. But it does, it does reflect what most of us are thinking about mm. and where we are with social media. I think generally people are like have added up to here with the false and the fake news stories and how it pushes people in the wrong direction. But, um, he said some very controversial things and he criticized Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Um, they, he called these um, organizations, and he talks about all the tech companies, including Google, by, way, by the way, the greatest propaganda machine in history. So now I've got a bit of audio that we can listen to, um, and he talks about the conspiracy theories and fake news and everything, but he really has a go at Facebook. Take so us. when you listen to this, send us a tweet. Tell us whether you agree with him, disagree. Do you think he captures the danger of these companies very well, or do you disagree with him? Just send us a tweet. You can either uh, include me or Aki. Democracy, which depends on shared truths, is in retreat, and autocracy, which depends on shared lies, is on the march. Hate crimes are surging, as are murderous attacks on religious and ethnic minorities. Now, what do all these dangerous trends have in common? I'm just a comedian and an actor, I'm not a scholar, but one thing is pretty clear to me. All this hate and violence is being facilitated by a handful of internet companies that amount to the greatest propaganda machine in history. The algorithms these platforms depend on deliberately amplify the type of content that keeps users engaged. Stories that appeal to our baser instincts 
and that trigger outrage and fear. It's why YouTube recommended videos by the conspiracist Alex Jones billions of times. It's why fake news outperforms real news, because studies show that lies spread faster than truth. And it's no surprise that the greatest propaganda machine in history has spread the oldest conspiracy theory in history, the lie that Jews are somehow dangerous. As one headline put it, just think what Goebbels could have done with Facebook. Zuckerberg tried to portray this whole issue as choices around free expression. That is ludicrous. This is not about limiting anyone's free speech. This is about giving people, including some of the most reprehensible people on earth, the biggest platform in history to reach a third of the planet. Freedom of speech is not freedom of reach. Sadly, there will always be racists, misogynists, anti-Semites, and child abusers. But I think we can all agree that we should not be giving bigots and pedophiles a free platform to amplify their views and target their victims. If you pay them, Facebook will run any political ad you want, even if it's a lie. And they'll even help you micro-target those lies to their users for maximum effect. Under this twisted logic, if Facebook were around in the 1930s, it would have allowed Hitler to post 30-second ads on his solution to the Jewish problem. So here's a good standard and practice. Facebook, start fact-checking political ads before you run them. Stop micro-targeted lies immediately. And when the ads are false, give back the money and don't publish them. There's a lot there. I don't detect any lies there. Yeah, no, it's like it's like spot on. You never listen to that and say, "Hey, that's how I feel." About I, this. I I think he's right. And when I I was delighted when I saw you wanted to use an excerpt from his talk for today's uh, technology and society. There's a bigger conversation there. Maybe we can come back to it uh, during the week because uh, we won't have enough time yeah, yeah, yeah. now. But it is this false and rubbish idea, and I agree with uh, with session there that a commitment to free speech includes an obligation to give someone a platform to spread lies yeah. or even truths for that matter. Your right to free speech does not include Correct. a non-existing right to be given a platform. Yeah. And which is why I'm glad that Twitter has banned political adverts, which is a good thing. I want to see the repercussions from that. Yeah. But yeah, I think this is, there's so many different conversations you can have with that. Over the weekend, I, a mate of mine um, who was sitting with me on this selection committee, and then we had a dinner on Saturday night, and uh, he went to park his car, came back. And um, I said to him, oh, what, what took you so long? He said, no, well, you know, just didn't, I knew I was going to drink, so I had to go put the car back. Uh. Now, he didn't use Uber. He used some other uh, service related to whatever, whoever he's taken his car out with or his bank. But um, I'd never thought until this morning about the downsides that can come <laughs> with being able to know that I'm not going to be drink. I'm not going to be caught drunk driving because I can always just use Uber exactly. when I get home. Uh, now you're telling me that there are downsides to well, this. Well, they did some interesting research in a few cities around the world, and um, they, they they basically looked at when Uber arrives in the city. You know what? How do people's habits change? And they discovered in these cities that were mature cities where Uber had arrived in, they showed that these cities, on average, 
um, had a 3.1% increase in the average of drinks consumed per day. So people start drinking more because Uber is there to help you out because you don't have to drive drunk, right? Yeah. Which you shouldn't be dr- driving anyway. Yes. A 2.8% increase in the number of drinking days per month. So yeah. they drink more per day and they drink more every day on, on different days. <laughs> and there was a 4.9% 4, 4. increase in the maximum number of drinks consumed on any one occasion. So when people did drink, they drank almost 5% more. And they saw a 9% increase in the rate of heavy drinking, which is astonishing. Um, the arrival of Ubex in those areas was associated with a 175 to 21.8% increase in the instances of binge drinking. So people are drinking a lot more in these particular areas. Um, and, but, 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 so that, that sounds like a downside, but, but listen to this, Eusebius. They also found that Uber was good news for bars because there was a 2.4% increase in employment Ooh. and a 2.3% increase in total earnings in bars. So bars are benefiting the most from Uber being in areas, right? Yeah. I I can't wait to send that to my roommate who works at Uber. Yes, yes. No, it's <laughs> so so how does how does that then tell you up on balance? Is it good for society because you, it's conducive to employing people and keeping the pubs going, especially in England where pubs like the post offices yeah. have suddenly found it very hard over the last while to keep going. But how do sure. you compare that with the public cost of livers that uh, need to be taken care of from bench drinking? Absolutely. But I think that when they do a similar Similar research in the food industry. We look at Uber Eats and other motorcycles. I mean, they're all over the place, right? The impact that these guys, I think they've saved many fast fast food industries and the restaurant industries. Um, and it's encouraged people to eat more at home. And yeah. in fact, talking to a few restaurateurs, 30% on average of their income comes from Uber Eats and, and related delivery services. So that's a very interesting thing. And they ha- think of how many people are employed. Think of what it does to the motorcycle industry from uh, servicing and all that sort of thing. So technology y- is impacting. Yin yang. Yin yang. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Aki. Bye-bye. Fascinating development.